Hello, and welcome to Champagne with Craig. We are unapologetic about loving our community and those that live here. Our goal is to focus on those that make our community amazing. We are not political. We are not judgmental. Our goal is to learn and use this platform to make us even better. Our beliefs are there is more good than bad, more positive than negative, and our glass is always half full. We support and encourage. We believe in responsibility and a simple belief in doing the right thing. We believe there's a lot more gray in the world and less black and white. We practice humility, and our definition of humility is being honest and sincerely willing to learn a few simple things from other people, having no desire to strangle them in the process. I hope you enjoy, and let's listen. Hey there, it's Craig with Champagne. Um, our podcast, this is podcast number three. Um, I'm up here in Naperville with a long friend of mine. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. At Hugo Frogs, we just had an outstanding lunch. So if you hear a little background noise, we're in an amazing restaurant. So I have here today um, Mr. Dion Thomas. Um, needs no introduction. Uh, Dion is the all-time leading scorer in Illinois basketball history. And rebounder, Dion, is that true or not? You know what? The rebounding record was broken. So okay. All records are made to be broken. That they are. Or tied, at least, as a freshman scoring, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, again, our topic is continuing about race. And Dion, if you know, is, is definitely a black man. I can attest to that as I'm sitting here as a witness. And, Last time I checked. And I'm still white. So we got that going right now. We're going we're gonna to get started. Um, we're just going to jump into it, Dion. We we broached this topic a couple of times. Race. Yes. It it is a high issue in our country right now. Mm-hmm. Probably always has been for a lot of people. Yes. But it certainly has risen to the top of every headline newspaper. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know which way to look at that mm-hmm. um, because of what's happened. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. And then go into why is it so difficult for you and I to sit down and talk about race. Oh, good. Well, as most of your listeners will know, from Chicago, Illinois. I grew up on the west side of Chicago. I spent most of my time in an area called The Village. And it was one of the worst, it is still to this day, one of the worst areas in the city of Chicago. And right, it's presently located where University of Illinois Chicago is. I grew up a stone's throw away from UIC. So now that area has been redeveloped and it's called University City, but if you go west of that campus, it continues to get worse and worse the farther west you go. And at the age of, well, I guess I go seventh grade, eighth grade, I moved to Inglewood, which if anyone watches the news, and, and a lot of us do, you see a lot of the killings that take place in Inglewood and on the west side of Chicago. So I have personally lived in two of the most dangerous, as I hold up my air quotes, uh, dangerous areas in the city of Chicago. And I think this topic of race is difficult, and please don't take offense to this, this isn't a, a difficult topic for black people. This is a difficult topic for white people. And the reason I say that is we have been talking about race in the black households from day one. I mean, you're, you're taught why things are the way they are. You're taught that you live in this world, which is a white world, and you have to um, conform to the things that are going on. I mean, at a very early age, I was taught how to speak to white people, how to deal with white people, how to deal with the police, how to, you know, and that maybe deal with is it probably a, a, not a good term, but how to form those relationships and how to act interact. around, how to interact, thank you, like, how to interact with white people. I mean, my grandmother cleaned houses for a lot of the families, you know, white families on the North Shore and in the north side of Chicago. So when she would take us at times during the summer, we had to understand how to act when we got there. You know, it wasn't, you know, running around the way you would normally do in your own neighborhood. You had to really go in and behave. <laughs> 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 and I mean, and that 
sounds crazy to say, but that's just the way it is. And, and that was what my my maternal grandmother did. Um, so you had to learn how to how to deal with that. Is your maternal grandmother still alive? Unfortunately, no. Um, okay. Both grandparents have have passed on. Okay. I know your mother's still alive. Yes. Because I've met her. <laughs> She's a firecracker. At a tailgate party. <laughs> at my tailgate party at the University of Illinois. So this, I don't want to call it a journey. It's not a journey. The questions I have as we start talking about this are just questions that have come up during this unrest period, mm-hmm. during the Black Lives Matter movement. We'll get to that and what that means later. Um, you, you said it's difficult for white people to talk about. Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, because there's a, as I t- we talked earlier, I've hosted multiple town halls, as we call them, uh, or some type of forum where we would have this discussion since these things have taken place. A lot of that is because we see two different, we see two different worlds. And as I would tell people is, you know, white people have lived in a bubble all of their lives. And you lived in a bubble saying, and I don't, you know, I don't want to make this sound like it's a, a, a bad thing. But, well, it is because you, 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 television, let's take television. Everything on television, if you look at what's going on, it's almost never a negative. And I'm not talking about movies, I'm just in general. You look at the news, it's never a negative. You... People have to, as a, as a boy, I had to conform to how to act when I went into someone's house, someone white's house. That's not something I had to do when I went into a black household. I mean, even though we were good kids anyway, we even had to step that up even higher when we went somewhere else. And when I say the bubble, it's because, and this is a conversation I have had with others, I say, well, what was your conversations about black people when you were in your household? to a person well we didn't talk about that no that's what I would that would have been my answer right but every other race has to talk about that and you don't have to talk about that because this is this has all been set up for white people to live in and everybody else just came in and, and had to find a way to you get in where you fit in I guess this is a, a general question and 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 there may not be an easy answer to it. Why is it so important? Because you jumped the chance to talk to me about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you could have jumped through the phone and sat down with me, we would have started right then. Yes. Why is it important for you and I to have this conversation? Because I, I think this country, I think this world is only half as good as it could be. I think if people would get out of their way, open their minds, learn from others that we are a lot better when we do that. This is why you hear people talk about sports, they talk about food, they talk about music. Those are areas where everyone always comes together. There is no, you know, if you're a great piano player, you're a great piano player. If you're a great guitarist, you're a great guitarist. I mean, if you're a great basketball player, everyone loves you. I mean, even LeBron James came out with a comment when they wrote, um, you know, the N-word on the gate of his house in in, in, um, L.A. His comment was, you know, I can do all of this. I can bounce the ball. I can be this. I can be a millionaire. And every day I wake up, I'm still black. And this is unfortunately some of the treatment you get. So how do you break down barriers? I believe you break down barriers in doing exactly what you're doing right now. You have conversations, you talk about, you have the tough conversation. And race is a tough conversation because you have part of the people, and again, this comes from my conversations with friends and and others. Well, I never owned slaves. Say, no, you never owned slaves and no one's saying you as an individual did, but you benefited from a system that came off of that. But, you know, what most people don't like to talk about is this didn't start off in 1619, well, before 1619, before the first slaves came over. This was poor people and rich people. All of the poor people, whether you were black, white, blue, green, or orange, you were all in the same group. So then the other, which was the rich, 
divided this thing up and say, well, okay, well, why are you siding with them when you look like me? So I'm going to put you in a position where you and your family can prosper and those people can work for you. Very easily researched, by the way. Great answer to your own question, mm -hmm. because that would have been one of my responses at some point, because I'm going to talk about slavery mm -hmm. as we go through here, that I never owned a slave. True. Look back at it, how inhumane it was. Can't even imagine that that happened. Right. The way people were treated. Um, I don't feel responsible for that. Mm -hmm. But it is a de facto comeback answer. Yes. And is that what we're getting to? Is that because we talk about race or we're nervous about race or, or people not of color or, or black? I'm not politically correct. I'm just trying to do the right That's thing okay. here. I don't. I would prefer we, you not be. I, I'm not. I mean, yeah. I don't even know how to be. So I think I've known you since I was 17 yes, years old. We started becoming politically correct. I don't know what I do yeah. over here. Um, do you believe it's because white people are afraid of the answers, or they just don't know? I think they're afraid of the answers, because everyone knows. I mean, this is one of those things that was taught in history. You were taught that there were slaves. Now, the, the, I think where the divide comes in and the problem comes in is that there's no history taught before that. You know, they don't talk about all of the achievements that were achieved by, you know, those slaves. I mean, they don't talk about how a lot of the inventions that those slaves created, which were, since they were owned, became the property of the slave owner. You know, just now, are you a bourbon guy? No. Okay. I'm I only drink things I can see through. <laughs> so bourbon and, and, and now they turn making white tequila. It's really messing me up. But I like to be able to see through it. I understand. But there's a, a, a bourbon that's out now. It's called Uncle Ernest. Yes. I just saw a commercial for it. So Uncle Ernest it was a slave that was owned by the um, Jack Daniels family. It has just come out recently, you know, and Jack Daniels is supposed to be the father of Kentucky whiskey, whiskey correct? Right. That Jack, that formula, and it was made by Uncle Ernest. I learned that. I don't know what show I was watching. Mm -hmm. Beautiful young black ladies kind of running the company now are spearheading that. Yes. And maybe that's what caught my eye. I don't know. But I did, <laughs> I did learn that story within the last week. Yeah, and, and that's that's really a small part of the big picture. I mean, the cotton gin. All of these little things that were invented by the slaves, but they ended up getting trademarked and owned by the people that owned them. So I've been, I was in conversations and I would hear people say, well, you know, what contributions did, you know, black people make? It's like, are you kidding me? And it's a, it, that's an ignorance because we didn't teach things the right way. We didn't teach history. I mean, again, I'm a history buff. It's okay. And it's it's. Really, I'm a history major. There you go. And so these things are really easy to research. You know, when you look, go back and you look at the ancient civilizations, they tell you it started in Egypt, and then you know Greece and so forth and so on. But there were ancient civilizations that were where the Greeks learned it from. And where where the Egyptians learned it from, but you'll ne you never hear about the great Sudanese empires and some of the others, where these empires learned from, you know. And it simply was because the Egyptians did it right. They put it hieroglyphics, and if you look up anything where they say the birthplace of civilization, it's because it was written, whereas before it wasn't written. So now this text gets lost. So these things get lost, and now. Now you're looked at less than because you have people say, well, you never contributed to the world, which isn't true. So now you fast forward to us being here or being brought here, and that same thought perpetuates on and on and on and on because they say, well, you know, you didn't create anything. Yeah, I did. I created Jack Daniels. But Jack Daniels' name is on the bottle and not mine. So you get, you know, the, and it's multiple, th you know, just things go on like that, which really gives people the ability to cast you as less than human.
So now I can treat you like you're not my brother when I am. You made a statement, and I wrote it down, that everybody knows it's a white world. Mm-hmm. Not everybody knows that. Do you know that? Well, white people don't know that. Right. Because they think it's normal. Because it's their world. That's what I wanted to pull out of you. Yeah. Not, I mean, that, that statement is part of the divide. Yes. Or part, maybe not part of the divide, part not of the understanding. True. That, how would I know that Jack Daniels meant anything to you? Mm-hmm. I don't even like Jack Daniels. I don't drink it. I mean, so we got, so we already got a lot in common. I did have my first bottle of uh, Aquarius, okay. <laughs> which is really good, by the way. Okay. Um, so that's part of the reasoning mm-hmm. that it's, I'm doing this. Yeah. That, and whether you identify with some kind, you know, we talk about in the beginning, we're not political, we're not, we don't have agendas, we're trying to report, not report, I'm not a reporter. I'm trying to understand right down the middle right is a better way to put it and instead of making an excuse when I hear you say something like that I may call out the white response or what I've heard or what I may or may not believe but that is specifically one that's not understood right I know and it's it's totally not understood but again I, I, I use the analogy and I would tell and, and I would tell people is think about it like this when you learn how to walk unless you've had an injury of something like that have you ever thought about walking again no nope. no you just get up and you do it so when you are born and, and as you mentioned we come into this world what was it naked and stupid naked and <laughs> Na- ignorant naked and ignorant so if I start teaching you from a very early age you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, then you see on television, you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, you don't see or have to deal with a lot of the negativities that, that come with you being white, or, and some of the privilege that comes with it, then you just, this is what you get into, and now, you don't think about this, because this is just the way it's always been, whereas when you're you know, Asian, just think about what they did to them when they were building the railroad tracks. I mean, crap, they locked them all up and did what they wanted to do, not to mention the slaves, not to mention the Native Americans. I mean, so this is where the, I say everybody else doesn't understand, you know, everybody else gets it, that this is not, say, their world, because you have to conform in order to fit in the world that, you know, white people don't have to conform to, because it's just set up that way. Slavery. Mm-hmm. I told you we're going to talk about all the tough ones. Sure. Okay. What does slavery mean to you? Just you as a human being. Oh, I mean, that's simple. It's one of the... I used the term to describe relationships between people earlier. We're all brothers. We all come from the same creator, regardless of, of what people may call them. He created us all. We're all the same. We have the same blood. We have the same, you know, if you take a fraction of our skin and look at it under and cut the pigment part off, it's made up of the exact same cells. So what slavery means to me is it's a, it's a degradation of the guy that looks like you, of your brother, of your friend. But it's such hatred and it's so evil and it's so angry that I think it gets lost. Like you said, how could you ever treat people like that? I mean, I don't care what color they were. Suppression? What, what, suppression, I mean, <laughs> they, 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 go, they go hand in hand. I mean, you bring, some, you bring people over, you take away their identities, you take away their names, you don't allow them to educate themselves. They couldn't read. They were, if they got caught reading, they were punished. If they caught writing, they were punished. You know, if they were caught doing anything other than what they were supposed to do, there was a punishment behind it. So you're getting, you know, you're, you're suppressing away for 400 plus years. You know, and then you and I talked about it earlier when we mentioned the police, which I know we'll get into, so I won't go, go right into, into that it. That's right okay. Now. But when the slaves would try to escape that suppression or that oppression or those beatings, 
then you they would send, and we talked earlier about why there's so much violence in the inner cities. They would send, you know, the police, which they weren't actually police at that time, they are more little militias, and they would send other slaves to go and catch the slave that was trying to get away. So you create in that a self-hatred. You create a self-loathing. You create a, a, a person that, you know, I look at you and I don't see the same, you know, in you. And then this is perpetuated again for years and years and years and years. And then I had my grandmother used to always tell me, she used to be like, baby, she was like, be careful in our community. She would say, you know, crab, people, black folks are like crabs in a bucket. Never knew what that meant. Never knew what that well, meant. Well, I got to know what it means. You got to tell I, me. Until I got older. And she would always tell me, well, anytime you got one person in the community trying to climb up, you always got somebody trying to pull them back down. And this is so my point in, in using that reference is or talking about that is this is that message of help of self-hatred of it's a very self-defeatist attitude because I'm already putting myself in a position where I don't trust the person that looks like me. So if I can't trust the person that look like me, I know I have an issue trusting the person that doesn't look like me then who am I supposed to trust? What am I supposed to go on? And so now you get, as we talked earlier, about being desensitized about all of the things that's going on around you, with the people around you, with the things that's happening. So then you just create this constant cycle. And, and this is why I believe, in my opinion, there's so much violence in some of these areas. Yes, there's other factors that go along with it. But if I value myself, then I have to be able to value you. And if I value you, then I have to value everything that's going on around here. And that would make me want to do better for the things that I value. People always want to take care of their, their, their kids, their families. They want to take care of their property because they value said property. But I have to be able to value myself to be able to value everyone else. You went to the police back to, you know, back to slavery days. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the authority or militias or whatever you want to call it back then the headmaster that was who you feared yeah of course i mean and, and that's a, a very valid point and they always put you know you you have you know whoever the, the the white people were and then you have that black person and it was his job to keep everybody else in line the crabs exactly he was there to keep everybody else in line when a slave broke the rules or did what he wasn't supposed to do. Now, they showed in Roots that they had the, the white guy whipping him. But if you go back and you read it, and watch the, you can even look at some of the pictures in the book. They had black people doing this. So now, you got the black guy whipping the black guy. And so here we go again, creating, and it's created this self-perpetual feeling of, of anger towards your own. Because how are you, you going to whoop me and then we go back and sit by the campfire and we're okay? That ain't going to happen with me. Exactly. Doesn't happen with anyone. No. We're going to have to try to get whipped again. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can keep that one. Yeah. They, um, as, we're, as we're moving through and, and discussing the unrest... There's two topics I, I want to get to. Mm-hmm. The Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Movement, organization, whatever, whatever, however you want to define it. I, I don't get caught up on terms. What does that Black Lives Matter movement mean to you? Well, I think that the movement and the organization are two different things. I, I, I think, for me, and you know I don't know some may agree with me some may not I think they matter all the time black lives matter all the time so whether it's the shooting from a white police officer or it's the guy on the corner that shot the guy because they were selling drugs they matter the same now I believe the movement is really a recognition it's trying to get a recognition of we matter just like you they matter just like us, meaning everyone. And they, they chose this the term Black Lives Matter because it makes a point. You know, 
Now, the, the bad part about that is, the, the, again, the message has been hijacked. And the first thing people say was, blue lives matter. Of course they matter. Oh, white lives matter. Of course they matter. The problem is, when you say black lives matter, people are like, well, why? And that in lies the problem. That should not be a that should not be an issue with the statement of me saying Black Lives Matter. Well, of course they do. That should be that should be the, that should be the statement. But that's not the emotion that it evokes. Now you, you want to talk about the organization? I think that every time somebody dies, they need to be out there and, and helping in those communities where these things are happening. Whether it's in my community over on 71st, or whether it's here in my community on, in Naperville. If something happens, you need to be there to help the people get all better about it. Yes, all the time. Not only if it's an issue between a cop and somebody else. So I, I think the two, I, I think they need to find a way to, to, to get those to, 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 to be some synergy. I mean, I'll tell anyone, I am not one for riots. I am one for protests because this is what my brother went to the Marines for. This is what my grandfather fought and went to the Navy for. This is what my father was a Marine for, is for us to be able to live out our rights that we have been given. The right to assemble and the right to protest is a given right, and that's for everybody, black, white, blue, green, yellow, or red. But when you cross the line and you start destroying stuff, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that because I don't think that it serves no purpose outside of just complete destruction. And more times than not, you're tearing up your own neighborhood. So now you're really putting yourself in a bad situation. Keeping the crabs down. Exactly. And, and I just, you know. So do they do some good things? Yeah, they do some good things. But could they be better? You know, and, and this, and my cousin lives here in Aurora. We talk about this all the time. They could and should be doing better because there's more than just the argument at times what you see on the news you know news cycles hmm. well both sides not a big fan of the news um, I, I literally I don't watch the news and when the news I, I prefer the news of the 70s and I can't go back further than that because I was born in 71 <laughs> but I prefer the news to be the news. I, I don't need, you know, the, the 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 person delivering the program, whether it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC. I, I don't care what. You, don't try to sway me in what I'm supposed to be thinking. Give me the news, and then I can form my own opinion. And that's not what they do. And I think what the news does is extremely divisive. I think, you know, if I'm a watch the news. Watching the news from all sides. I can't just sit and watch Fox um, all day and think that my opinion is going, that my thoughts will say, okay, well, yeah, you know what? This, they, they could be feeling this way because that's not what they preach. MSNBC, the same thing. You know, they're, again, we were talking earlier and I saw this program where they had a line drawn right down the middle and they had on one side it swayed left and the other side it swayed right. Why should your news ever sway anyway? It's supposed to be a delivering of facts. And when you're swaying one way or another, you're distorting the facts, which you know creates divide. And this is a large portion of where we are, where we are now. Making the news fit a narrative instead of making the news be the news. Exactly. Regardless of what narrative you're trying to make it fit. Well, I mean, that's that's almost like anything. I was, we were when I was a coach when I was coaching, we were talking about statistics. Oh yes, yeah, statistics. You can make a statistic look either way you want it yeah. to, depending on what you throw in there. You know, they said something. I was watching the NBA the other day. And I was like, yeah, you know, this I can't. I'm not going to try this because I can't remember exactly what it was. But basically, yeah, this statistic looks like this, and you're saying this because this is what you want it to look like and anytime you can start doing that then there's a problem and this is what the media does unfortunately and another big issue I have with the media is I don't think I think the media reports the small things they blow it up into the big things 14 people getting killed in Chicago huge thing that is big 
but there's so much more good going on in Chicago and in this world. Why we don't talk about that? That doesn't, should be the overriding message. Doesn't sell advertising space. Doesn't sell advertising space. And when they started rating, they started ratings for the news. That's when we started having problems because I got to be the highest rated show on television so I can get said sponsorships. Sensationalism. Yeah, and I mean, and that's the bad part. You went to Chicago, so let's go back there. Um, when you combine combined <laughs> the Black Lives Matter, let me back up. Black Lives Matter to you, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, just means that I matter. Yes. And my black brothers in Chicago matter. Yes. And the message is getting muddled of not of only one side of yes, what happened to George Floyd is awful. Mm-hmm. There's other parts of that that need addressed as well too, meaning what you talked about in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a lot of hurt there for you, Dion. You know people there still. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up there. I mean, you, we, we were talking about another person you interviewed earlier that was talking about his family. My entire, just about my entire family were gangbangers, drug dealers, pimps. This was my lineage. I mean, I still have, I have cousins now that are in prison. I mean, close family members. My, my brother, and he doesn't mind me talking about, my brother spent almost half of his life in prison. This is how close I am from being in that situation. I mean, my brother was the reason I started playing basketball. So I did not have to be in that situation. There's a lot of there's a lot of University of Illinois fans glad you started playing basketball. <laughs> you would be I be I be in one of them. Not to make light of what we're talking about. A ball got you out. Yes. How other than a ball how do we start getting people out? How that's that's a stretch, and we're going a long way now. That that's a great question, and I'm not smart enough to answer it. I can tell you. So. No, well, you, you're smart enough to answer it, but you're smart enough to bring in ten other people that will have ten different ideas, and then you figure out which of those ideas to start with, because all of those ideas will have to be done and undertaken. But this is which one you start with. I, I basketball s- saved me. I was a good student, a really good student. My mother used to get if I came in the house with a C, my mother had a heart. I would have a heart attack. You know, the one time I missed the honor roll when I was at Simeon, my mother threatened to transfer me to Whitney Young. And at that time, Whitney Young didn't have a basketball team. Well, they had one, but they were terrible. They might as well not have had one. So she was like, okay, forget basketball. This is what you're going to concentrate on. One, we have to get back to that. I don't think we have enough. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Let me go even further back. What we have in our inner cities today is a loss of hope. People don't look forward. They look at today. It's a loss of hope. So we have to start giving people hope again, you know, to be able to look past your current situation and where you are today. When I left coaching four, well, almost five years ago, I started running a program called UIC Engage at UIC, where I would take uh, grad students and undergrad students, and we would go out into the elementary schools and other um, sites that we set up to help kids in the inner city, whether it's with homework, homework help, mentoring, the whole nine. And I tell this story because when I first walked in there on the first day in a couple of the sites, and I asked the kids, I'm like, how many of you want to go to college? Basically, every hand flew up. My next question to them was, how many of you are going to college? Maybe one hand came out. And this is out of a room of about 40 kids. 40. And only one hand goes up. And you ask them why. Well, I can't get there. I've had some kids say I'm not smart enough. I had some kids say, you know, what's college? <laughs> you know, and, and these are, this is a lack of 
hope. This is a lack of understanding. This is a lack of knowledge. You know, we talk about the school system, and I'm a CPS kid, proud of being a CPS kid. I remember the first time I walked into Simeon, and Simeon is a good academic school. Not a great one. It's not Whitney Young. It's not a magnet school, but it's a good one. They take pride in graduating their students. I got in the eighth. I was a freshman in 1985. I opened my book and it had people's signatures in it from 1975. How much has that information changed in a decade? It's useless. That information you're getting now is basically useless. And that's one of the things you have to correct. You got to correct the feeling of 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 lack, you know, not having hope, of not being able to see further than today. Education is immensely important. It is the yes, it is the grand equalizer. It's the grand equalizer in everything. And then you move on to as you we were talking earlier about the things that you wanted, being able to have the right mentors someplace, being able to have the right people to point you in the right directions. Because even though my brother was like, You're playing basketball, I was still drifting the other way. I was drifting the way I wasn't supposed to go. I'm hanging out with my friends. We were doing some things, which I'm actually in the process of writing my book, which people will read about, and they're going to be shocked because I'm going to be extremely candid in this book about some of the things that I was doing as an eighth grader, freshman in high, going into my freshman in high school. And then, you know, and until I got under the tutelage of Bob Hambrick is when things started to go back the other way. Why? Because Bob Hamburg was like, oh, you can do whatever you want to do. You can go wherever you want to do. And my family had always told me this. But hearing it from your family and hearing it from somebody that you have a ton of respect for outside of the family love circle, but you have a totally different respect. Okay, now I'm not going here. And then he began to set standards for us. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Now, granted, I had some of that in my old family, but now I have basketball that I enjoy, that I want to do, that could be easily taken away from me. So, you know, this was a focus. Not thinking about over here that if I do this, I could lose my life tomorrow. That was something that happened every day in my neighborhood. For those of you that may not know, Bob Hamrick is a legendary basketball coach at Simeon. Yeah, thank so, you. So, uh, <laughs> not that I followed it at all, but I'm kind of a sports <laughs> junkie. Dion knows that. Um, so, male, another male influence in your life. Yes. And another positive Let's male influence. Just talk about male influences in the black community. Unfortunately, we don't have enough. We don't have enough, in my opinion. I mean, because one of the, the, and I don't want to say there's not some, because there is some, but we don't have enough. And we work so hard to get out of the situation you're in that sometimes people forget to go back and give a little, you know. And that doesn't necessarily mean giving money, but giving time, giving conversations. I tell everybody that I've helped. And they were like, well, coach, what am I going to do? I can do it. No, 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 no. You just make sure you help somebody else. That is my only ask of, of any of the people that I come into contact with. Just make sure that when somebody else needs help, you help them. Carry it forward. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's the only way you stop being a crab in a bucket. Because you can be a crab in a bucket by not helping. We went back to Simeon, and my wife is sitting here with us. We went back to Simeon, and we had By a, the way... You way out kicked your coverage too. Oh, brother! Trust I mean, me, I know that. I mean, I mean, it's really quite hard to believe she has anything to do with you. To be honest with you, but I'm a but good it's guy. A topic for another topic for another day. <laughs> I'm a good guy. Well, you know, it, it fits. But um, when I went back to my high school and we spoke, you know, we're talking to the principal and and he's like, man, Dion, he was like, I'm so happy you came back. You're the first person to come back here and do something like that, which to me was a shocker. Now, I'm sure that was during his time as a principal, because I know, you know, I, I would hope that other people have gone back. But we went back and we gave out turkeys, we gave out um, hams, just to be a little bit of a relief for people, go, you know, going into the Christmas holiday. And that's the kind of things that I'm talking about. I'm not saying it to be a braggart, but I'm just saying there's more that people that are successful can do. 
or, or that have made it out can do. And it's, I guess it's success is our relative. That's. I don't know what I'm going to learn from this this whole conversation with you, mm-hmm. but I know one thing that's going to stick with me is crabs in a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> from your grandma because we've we've now referenced them back a, probably half a dozen times. Oh, I always will. And and that's that's I guess old school philosophy. It is. It is. You that, know, and we talk about. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that's one of the other issues that we're having today. Grandparents are so young. They're so young. I have friends that are my age that are 50. I'm 49, but I have friends that are 50 that have three and four grandchildren. You know, and I mean, and it's like, oh my God, what life experience? And I've had some life experiences, but I haven't had a a, a, a lot of life experiences like my grandmother did. I mean, I was a kid. My grandmother was pushing 70. So she had seen some things coming up from Mississippi, you know, with the whole migration from the South up here to get jobs that we, we can't pass on. You know, so you, you mentioned me quoting my grandmother. My wife will tell you, my girls will tell you, they get tired of me quoting my grandmother because I quote her all the time. I'm going to quote her now. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. Yes. Colin, Colin. 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 The knee situation. Taking a knee. Well... Oh, we, 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 no, we talked about, I'm just going to preface it because we did talk about it a little bit before. Yep. What did it mean to you and what do you think it meant to the country? Country is a big question. The country is a big question. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, when they first started kneeling, I'm like, okay, what's this going to help? What's this going to fix? What's this, you know? This goes back even with, uh, and I'm just going to touch on this and then I'll go back. When I was hosting one of those Zoom calls, a question to me came, you know, from one of the panels. Well, what did it feel like to you that that happened with George Floyd? I was not sat and I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know what? I was like, I, I hope this doesn't sound cold in any way. I was like, but I felt really bad for him. I was like, but I've seen this multiple times. I've seen cops beat people in my neighborhood a lot of times. I mean, often. I was, I have had to deal with that. And I'm, I remember the first time, my first issue, or well, not issue, but my first um, real, I guess issue, real issue with the police. I'm nine years old, sitting on my grandmother's porch, me and my best friend that were next door. We hadn't done anything. We were, you know, police come up, they drive up, er, stop their car. They have us come down off of the stairs. We're laying face down on the concrete. Nine years old. Face down on the concrete. And they're, you know, yelling and screaming at us. My grandmother comes outside. And then they start talking to my grandmother. Like, you know, she's some 10-year-old kid. And I'm like, what is going on as a nine-year-old? And so they asked me about this, and I told them that story, told them the next story. I'm the number one basketball player in the state of Illinois. You know how many times I got slammed on the hood of a car in Chicago? I'm at the University of Illinois. You know how many times I did? And who didn't know me in Champaign, Craig? Everybody. Yeah. It slammed on the hood of a police car by the Champaign police as well as the university police. And you know me. I'm not out there. I'm probably the most quietest dude to make sure that I'm staying out of trouble and that I don't want the slightest ink spot on anything that I've ever done. I can agree with that. And this is happening to me. I mean, there were literally people on the phone crying and disbelief that this had happened. And I'm like, but this this happens all the time. Just imagine if I'm not me, how that would have happened. So you believe you could have been George Floyd? Huh? You believe you could have been George Floyd? Oh, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. Let's go back to Cap. Yes. Back to Cap. So, when he first started kneeling, I'm like, okay, what is this? And this is my personal thought. What's this going to solve? What is this for? What's he doing? 
And I think that message was hijacked because I had watched him afterwards as it's going on, you know, it's continuing to play and he's continuing to do it. And remember, he started off sitting. And he actually, in an interview that I watched him, he said that he started kneeling because he had gone to see um, a few retired Marines and they were told him that what he was doing as far as sitting is disrespectful. He started kneeling because they told him, well, you should be kneeling. If you're doing this, you should be kneeling because this is not disrespectful. This is coming from military veterans. So this is why he started kneeling. So in the beginning, this is what it was about. It was about the protesting of police violence, which once I learned why he was doing this, I'm on board with it. I'm like, okay, that's a great thing. Who else is going to start doing this? Because, you know, you know how it is. If you're the first one in anything, man, you, you're putting yourself out there. You don't know who's going to come with you, who's going to go with you. And he had a few people out there with him, and then the message was hijacked. Oh, he's disrespecting the flag. He's disrespecting the police. He's disrespecting our country. When that was the furthest thing from the truth. Furthest thing from the truth. It had nothing to do with the military. It had nothing to really do with disrespecting the police. And it definitely had nothing to do with disrespecting the flag. But that was, we talk about the media, this was the narrative that was handed down from on high. I don't know what your p political affiliations are, no, doesn't nor, matter. nor do I care. But this was the message that was sent down from on high and it just sprinkled out and of course the media is going to cover everything that the president says. Bam, now it's out there and this dude is kneeling, disrespecting the country, da, 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 when that was never what it was about. Remember Mo Gardner? Yes. Yeah. My man. Yeah. Are you guys the same age? You got to be close, aren't no, you? Most a couple of years older than me. Okay, you got to be close. Chief, well, you got to talk about the chief. You're the only person you got to talk about the chief somehow. We get back to it. Yeah. That controversy was starting back then. It wasn't full fledged, but it was starting. Right. And I didn't remember it, and I've said this in the previous podcast. People are going to be tired of hearing this. But Mo Gardner made a statement because I don't care about chief. Have it, don't have it. Mm -hmm. But you can't tell somebody what offends them. Right. And it went over my head back then. And I didn't remember that until you just said you just said that. He now did that. I, now you remember, I remember, you remember that. saying it, right? Yeah. So let me go fast forward to Cap. Mm -hmm. My best friend gets killed at Fort Bragg in a freak accident. Mm -hmm. Two years out of college. I travel down to Fort Bragg and I go into a block room with a metal table with his dad mm -hmm. lying there in his underwear, stone cold dead. Right. When he did that, that's where I went. He disrespected my friend. But he didn't. And that's and that's the But you can't tell somebody what to think. No, you can't. But that's what the media did. Is what I'm saying. When that came down, this is what now. This is what everyone thought, not knowing that he had gotten this this direction from Marines. And I can't say former. My brother is a Marine, and he yelled at me one time. I said, "Oh, you, my brother's a former Marine." He was like, "No, no, no. Once a Marine, always, always a Marine." Marine. Yeah. So I'm like, Booyah. "Okay, dude." <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, "Okay, bro. I won't make that mistake again." But this this what he was doing was given to him as direction from military personnel. Or former, well, you know, military person, retired military personnel. So he thought, just listening to him in the interview, of course, I haven't talked to him personally myself, but listening to him in that interview, he was like, hey, this is what I was told to do by these people, so this is why I did what I did. So it wasn't a, a degradation to your friend or, or to my grandfather or to anyone else. But when the when the the message was taken and it was disseminated amongst the masses, that's what it became. I, was that done? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I believe that I made that determination on my own. We always do. So <laughs> we always. Do. I'm I'm, make, I'm pressing you on me, mm -hmm. knowing my character and who I am. I made that determination, mm -hmm. Mo Gardner. Right. So through your lens, you see it this way. Mm -hmm. 
through my lens I see it another way mm -hmm. and we're here today making sure each of us understand our lenses true well it's not even understanding our lens it's understanding the lens of someone else because our lens is our lens peace truth I got that <laughs> you know what I'm saying uh -huh. our lens is our lens I, I respect the fact that this is why you're seeing it through, you know, your lens. But it's being seen through that lens, and, and, and mine included, because one of what we've been, we talked about, we come out dumb and, and, and naked, right? right? Ignorant and inert. So now you, this has been taught the whole time. These are the things that have been pumped into us the whole time. So now they continue to go on down the line. And then something fits the narrative that we want to hear. And then we hear this, and it fits in the narrative of what we want to hear. And so now we have a whole history of things that we've learned that fits in that narrative. You know, not saying it's right or wrong, just saying... It is what it is. It is what it is. And we have to be able to agree to disagree and do it politely and understanding that somebody's vision is not always going to be ours. We just did that. Yes, we did. And I'm sitting here and I feel no nervousness i feel no <laughs> scarcity i don't feel like there wasn't you know you feel like the fight or flight syndrome yep. that i have to defend my position yep i feel none of that craig, and i can look in your eyes you don't feel it either no craig, the, the is, world needs to do this this is this is how you end a lot of the issues that are going on in this world this is how you do it people sitting down talking to one another you know the the guy i had on coach nicks people will know because the, his podcast will be my character friend Mm -hmm. um, he goes, I want to talk to the leader of the KKK. Good. Why Why don't you like me? Mm -hmm. And if you can explain to me why don't you like me, as Coach Nix, I want to listen. Right. I thought that, I mean, that's how he kind of ended our podcast. And racism, racist. Mm -hmm. The words being thrown out there way too much. Yeah. Both sides. When it's convenient to fit both sides' narrative, it's thrown out there. Yeah. What does it mean to you? Everybody else is quiet. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to for somebody to be a racist? What does it mean to Dion? Well, I think... I feel... When you look down on someone or you dislike someone and you can be a bigot and a racist, that's two totally different things, in my opinion. If you're a racist, you can control things that happen and go on with other people. If you're a bigot, you just don't like somebody because you don't like them. Racism is a system. It's not necessarily a person. Because you can't control an individual person. But if you're a bigot, I cannot like you because you are purple. Because or Jewish. You're, because you're tall. Because you're small. Because you're Jewish. But, and, and this is one of the conversations I have with my buddy that's Jewish. He's, you know, you have the Hispardi uh, Jews and then you have the Ashkenazi Jews. Ashkenazi Jews are from Europe. And the Hispardi, like my wife, they're from Northern Africa, da, 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 so they're darker complected. If my buddy walks up to you, you'd never know he was Jewish. Looks like every other white man walking around this country. And he's actually said this to me. He was like, Dion, he was like, I don't know how, you know, black people have had to, have, how they've been able to do what they've done and have to deal with what they've have to deal with all this time. He was like, a lot of people, and he was like, and I've been around people my entire life, they'll say things about Jewish people, they'll make Jewish jokes, they'll say these things, they'll do this, but they never knew I was Jewish. Wait till you hear Howard's podcast. You know, your, your blood's going to boil over a story Howard Milton says. It won't boil. Mm. You, you've experienced this as well, too. I bet you've experienced thousands of times. Oh, yeah. You went, I was going to, another word, you went to it before I even got there. You're smarter than me. You've done that a half a dozen times with the interview. <laughs> Systemic racism is a word that's used again right. everywhere. What does it mean to you? Because there really is no definition. It's not like you can go look it up in Webster's or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because it has a specific meaning. I've asked that question three times now, mm -hmm. and the meaning's been different all three times. 
Okay. Well, to me, what systemic racism is, and we talked about this, we mentioned this, the system that has been set up was not set up for people that look like me. Starting with slavery, well, better yet, starting before slavery, when they separated rich and poor, and they took the white poor people and said, here, come here, we'll give you some property, we'll let these people work for you, because before we were indentured servants, and you could work off your indentured servitude, and you had people of all colors and races in that, in that pool. So then when you pull, when the wealthy landowners pull the white people out of that group, put them in here and put them in charge of other people, now you begin to create that system. Go down the line. Now I'm going to control your education, who you can talk to, what you can talk to, where you go, what school you can go to. You can't go to this school, you can't go to that school, you can't read this book, you can't read that book. So now this is set up. Then when you move into housing, you can't live over here, you can only live over there. Now, I mean, so you you can't vote, so we're not going to allow you the, the chance to vote right after slavery. And, and this was a huge thing down in the South because there were so many black people down there, they basically started voting for their own and... and no, we're not having that. So now they started to burn people's houses, burn people's businesses. The Jim Crow laws came into effect. So now you've created a system to hold people down and oppress them. Now, as you move forward into this time, trying to get jobs, can't get a job, or not the job you want, not to mention the prison system. Now you go to prison, you, you come out, you can't get a job. And then once slavery ended, which is another point, they started locking up people for minor causes, loitering and these different things, and they're locking people up for 20, 30, 40 years. And even in the Constitution, if you look at when they ended slavery, slavery ended except for criminals. So you, re, you basically, they reconstituted slavery. Because now I can, you can, I can work you all day long for free and not have to pay you. So it was a system that was set up to hold a group of people back, black, Latino, whatever they are, to hold the people back while we continue to build and grow here. When we talk about that system, I'm sorry? When we talk about that system, mm -hmm. we discussed education and how education isn't, we talked, even touched on that earlier, vitally important that the way out is through education and and of, of bad situations. Is the United States inherently bad? I, I do not believe I do not believe the United States is inherently bad. I think the system that it was set up on is. I think the United States is a is an idea. I think the the United States is uh, um, its people, and, and I refuse to think that all of the people in the United States are bad. I don't care what color you are. I, I would believe that there are more similarities in people than differences. So I think the system that was set up, and it was really set up more rich and poor, you know, until a certain point, than black and white. And as that system got more and more put in place that system became bad but then everybody else was kind of swept up in it because again we talked about not knowing because you're born you're just going into this oh my family owns this house but yeah that house has been in my family for years you're a black, you're a black person you can't say this house has been in your family for years so there's very few of you that can say this house has been in there for generations and generations because you weren't allowed to so no, I do not believe the United States is inherently bad. Have we made progress? Uh, yes. I, I would think there has been progress. It's just the progress has been so slow. It's slower than the turtle or the snail. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that slow. It's that slow because people have an idea, in my opinion, is if this goes ahead, then I'm going to lose this. And we talked about diversity. I think all boats are lifted when we work together. 
yeah, we're, we're going to have different ideas. We're going to have different uh, backgrounds. We're going to look different. We're going to be different. But if I can take some of, and you know, I talk to you about real estate. If I don't seek out someone that has a different experience or know more than me, how am I ever supposed to learn? You know, so you gain from someone else's experiences and from someone else's knowledge. And that lifts all boats. I.e., this is why you're doing what you're doing. So you can learn more and become a better person. Counter-argument. Sure. Responses. We elected a black president. Mm-hmm. We've had a black attorney general. Mm-hmm. We have black governors. Mm-hmm. Certain part of the population thinks we're there. How, how long has this country been in existence? 400 plus years? A couple hundred years, yeah. A few hundred. One black person. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but the point of making progress, your point is it's not happening fast enough. Right. Right. So, I mean, my point is before Barack Obama, there was no one that was qualified to become president. I mean, if you look back at some of the presidents that we've had, I've been a woman president. Again. You know, but, but again, you're right. There hasn't been a woman president because women get discriminated against as well. They don't, you know, so they all go hand in hand. I actually heard a woman once, and this was, it was crazy to me when I heard her say this. This is a woman, white woman, talking about Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, another white woman. And she made this statement even as general as no woman should be president of the United States. So the reporter asked her why, but you're a woman. She was like, yeah, but we get so emotional, we might start a war. That's counterproductive. And I'm not saying that she's the, you know, the, the, the thought doctor for all women. But for her to even let, allow that to come out of her mouth and not think that another woman would be qualified to be president of the United States, there's a problem. The reason we're here mm-hmm. is not to have one person be the thought doctor for all the United States. Exactly. And that's the only thing that I'm trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. That there doesn't need to be a thought doctor. And what we talk about doesn't have to change anybody's mind. Mm-hmm. But understanding where you've come from, mm-hmm. what you've lived through, mm-hmm. the successes you've had, the way you conduct yourself, not as a black man, as a human being. That woman that said that, if you cut her open, unless you did a DNA test, you wouldn't know if she was, like you said earlier, where she's black, white, woman, man, she's going to bleed and she's going to have muscle, and it's all going to look the same, right? Yeah. Just through a different lens. Ignorant, ignorant and naked. Yes, exactly. And, and that's the problem because it comes from, we get our lessons from those that are teaching us. And so if we continue to get our lessons from the same people that are in our pool, we got a problem. We, I mean, that's a serious problem. Because who's to say in her family, using this woman as an example, this was probably something that her father spouted that she was growing up, instead of lifting her and telling her what she can and cannot be, he probably told her, well, you know what, no. I'm the head of this household. This is how it's supposed to be, and this is, you know. Where it is. This, and this is the way it is. So even Sigmund Freud said, what do we do? We want to marry people that are like our parents. Well, that's not exactly what he said. His thing, his statement was, we want to have sex with people that are like our parents, which I think is gross. I do too. But I understand what he, he was gross. Reading. You're going to marry someone that exhibits a lot of the, because this is what you've grown up seeing. So this is what you're going to be attracted to. Someone like my wife. My wife is strong. You met my mother. My mother was strong. My wife is, and, I, and she's probably going to hit me right now. She's a little controlling. But my mother's controlling. And not controlling in a bad way, but to make sure that things are taken care of. You know? Because I'm a little, and we're, she's the op, we, we're kind of opposites attract. I like to be flighty. She likes to be grounded. <laughs> You're flighty. That's for sure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Dion, if you took two people that lived in the state of Illinois, mm-hmm. where you grew up and where I grew up, mm-hmm. 
We couldn't be more polar opposite. True. As I sit here today, I don't think we could be more alike. But see, that's the problem with people, in my opinion, is we, we look at where we're from, we look at the things we've been taught, and that's what we focus on. Instead of focusing on where we are like, I tell people all the time in interviews, I don't know how many times I've used TJ, because, you know, TJ's where you're from. TJ is probably still my best friend, and here we are 20-some-odd years later. Because when we met, one, there was an, an, an initial connection. You know, I want to say attraction because people might look at that the wrong way. But there was a, a, an immediate connection. You can't be attracted to TJ. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's going to listen to this, so I'm, I'm happy to say that. Oh, please, give it yeah. to him. Give it to him. It was an immediate connection between he and I. And we're from two totally different places, like same you said. Same place. I'm from, TJ and I are from the same hometown. Exactly. Exactly. TJ Wheeler is who we're talking about. Right. Played basketball at Dion, the University of Illinois. Yep. And, and so he and I have been, I, he, I introduced him to rap, he introduced me to country. I mean, so this is where I believe people have to meet. Not in your differences, but in your similarities. And then after you meet in your similarities, of course, basketball was our similarity. Now you begin to build that connective tissue from there. The problem is I think racist people and bigots are racist and bigots because they don't know anyone else like them. They, I mean, outside of knowing people that are like them. They don't make the connections with people that are different than they are. They'd much rather not like people, you know, because of the media, what they've learned, what they see what they hear and instead of me coming out and doing what we're doing right now which is sitting down and talking and actually having an opportunity to know one another the old joke you know how to eat an elephant one bite at a time baby Dion <laughs> we just took a bite there you go Craig. thank you so much for your time oh my pleasure thank you so much for your honesty sincerity like I've said in the other podcasts it's it's difficult to see a face as you're answering these questions or reactions and I wish we could do that but I've learned I have appreciated I have grown and what used to be a nervous endeavor for me I can't wait for the next one so that's the end of podcast three um, tune in next week um, we'll have another guest and Dion and Daphne his beautiful wife way too beautiful for you <laughs> We're signing out. <laughs> Have right, a good day. Okay, can I say something?